Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Listen to God's word. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time come, the bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, as we continue in our uh, our time of Jesus uh, in worship, I want to remind you, if you haven't already, to go to the gathering room and pick up your journals. They're available. Uh, they're very helpful to take notes on sermons. I took a lot of notes on Pastor Mark's sermon last week. They're all in my... But please don't uh, read my journal. Uh, I, I put something in front of it that says, uh, Burn Before Reading. But make sure you go get a journal or there's an opportunity for you to uh, find out how to uh, access some of our notes and things through the Bible app. And so you can do all that in the gathering room that's available. I would just remind you to do that. It's a helpful resource. But as uh, as we begin, as we continue, will you say a prayer with me and for me? Holy God, we thank you for your word that illuminates our hearts in our minds, we pray that as we focus on your word today, that your spirit would give us understanding and strength to receive it and to follow you. And I pray that the words you've given me, Lord, they would be from you and not from me. And so in all these things, we lift them to you and we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, I was 15 and a half years old, at least, uh, and the big day had arrived. At least that's how it was in my household when you, my dad said you had to be 15 and a half years old before you could go and get your learner's permit. I mean, this was a big day for me, 15 and a half. And so I remember we had to get all of this paperwork and stuff to get ready to go and get the learner's permit. It's just a few things. All I needed were uh, my birth certificate, my social security card, uh, transcript of my grades, I needed a, an official copy letter form that I needed to get from my school that took like t- way too long to get. I needed to go and get a, a copy of my car insurance. Uh, I think it was like 20 bucks to go to the store. I mean, to, to go to the DMV that day. I wish you could go to the store and get a learner's permit. It might be easier. I needed a letter from my dad that would prove that he would be the one teaching me uh, how to drive. 
And uh, I needed a, a blood sample. No, I'm kidding. I didn't. But seriously, I went and I was like, I was reading through the list of all the stuff that I brought, uh, that I needed to bring. And I was thinking, are you, are you kidding me? I need to get all this stuff, but it's okay. I get my learner's permit. Totally worth it. And so I remember my dad had to get me out of school early that day. It was like, he got me out at pretty early and the DMV closes at five. And so we had to get over there. And I remember we hurried up so that we could wait. And uh, we waited. You know, there are two lines. And this, this is my favorite thing. I don't know how it is here. But in Texas, we waited an hour just to get a ticket number so that we could go into a room and wait even longer. It was great. And uh, I remember getting that ticket. I was so excited. And we were sitting there. And uh, finally, <laughs> after patiently waiting, my number was called. And Dad walked up with me up to the counter. And this really nice lady was helping us. And I, I swear I'm not organized. Or I am better now with God's help. Uh, but back then I wasn't. But I had a file folder ready to go. I had everything in line. I would, so I handed her this giant stack of stuff. And she's looking through everything. And she looks at me and she goes, I'm so sorry, you can't get your learner's permit today. I was like, what? She goes, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I I, true story. And I remember looking at her thinking, not funny. Like, <laughs> not the joke you should be, uh, this just isn't hilarious at all. And then only to find a few minutes later, she goes, she, her face all of a sudden gets just pale white. And she looks at me and she was like, Oh, I know I made that joke. I'm really, I'm just really sorry. Uh, the form, that, the letter that you got from your school saying that you actually go there, it's expired. Um, you can't get your learner's permit today. You have to go back to your school and get a letter. Oh, no problem. It was the Friday before spring break, so school wouldn't be open for a whole nother week. And I remember just walking away from that day thinking, oh, you're kidding me. In fact, I still look at that story and I still get frustrated because I, but you know, the reality is I wasn't prepared. I have to own that story. The, the reality is as much paperwork and things that uh, I had to do to get ready, I wasn't ready. I missed, you know, that form had expired. I didn't realize there was an expiration date, but it reminds us in life, there are so many things that we have to be ready for. Would you agree? I mean, in, in life, being ready and prepared is one of the best things that we can do. And Jesus reminds us that in our story today, that that's true for our faith. We need to be ready and prepared. And so in today's scripture, Jesus is telling a wedding story to talk about the importance of being prepared as we wait for his return, as we wait for heaven. Now, I think he would have talked about the DMV if he was talking about waiting for hell. I don't know. But, uh, you know, just kidding. But here's the point. The story, the, the point is that Jesus told a lot of stories when he was talking about uh, heaven. He, Jesus was a storyteller. And so you may have heard some of these stories referred to as parables. And so over the next few weeks, I'd really in, uh, invite you to come and, and uh, participate in our sermon series, the stories Jesus told. Because here's the thing about parables. There, not everything in a parable means something uh, he's really just trying to make a connection to the people of that time and telling stories that they might get or understand. But there's always one clear, solid point in every one of his stories. And that's true for today's scripture. But I think what's helpful for us in our faith is when we focus on the parables, the stories Jesus told, and we can begin to understand some of these 
clear, solid points, I think it will significantly help us in our faith. So I'd invite you to to come and participate, be a part of these uh, series. Come, come and join us for the next few weeks. But as our, in our story today, the one clear point that Jesus is make, making is that we need to be ready for the waiting. We need to be prepared for the waiting. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. And the, the focus of this parable is on the oil. So when he's... He's talking about being prepared for the wedding, or for the waiting. He's talking about the oil. And so in our scripture, he's talking about these ten virgins or maidens or bridesmaids. And he says that there were five who didn't bring extra oil and five who did. And so this is what he says about them. He says, the foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. And the wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. So the point that he's making is that extra oil is so important in the waiting. That to be prepared as you're waiting is essential. But here's what I think. In order to really get like what this parable is all about, we really need to understand what weddings were like back in Jesus' time. Because I don't know about you, I don't recall as, as the groom going and getting ten virgins or maidens and inviting them to follow me with my new bride. What in the world does all this mean? And so in Jesus' day, it all made sense. People heard him say this and they're like, oh yeah, we get you, Jesus. And so in Jesus' day, you you know, today people are engaged, right? I mean, uh, the groom doesn't have anything to show that he's engaged, but the bride, she has a ring on her finger. Back then they were betrothed. And so the way it would work is a young man would see... uh, you know, a young lady that he intended or wanted to marry. And so he would go over to that young lady's house and he would meet with her father. And he would bring along with him a legal document. And they would discuss the terms of the betrothal. And so the terms typically included either cash or animals or property that this young man was willing to give to the bride's father as the bride price. Because, and and don't miss this, because he wanted to pay to to put his money where his mouth was and to say, man, she is so uh, valuable and desirable to me. I just want to pay a lot of money so that I can uh, have her as my wife. And so the bride's just sitting here watching all this stuff happen. And so the the guy and the and the father they're going over terms. They hammer out the legal co- uh, contract, and if once the terms are agreeable, the father of the bride says, yes, done. Okay, and then the bride and the groom are now betrothed, and then they go off their separate ways. He goes back to his house, and the bride stays at home, and she's just getting ready. And so here's what the groom is off. Now, here's what I like about all that. Like if I ever, if I ever end up having a daughter, here's, I wish we would bring some of this back, and here's why. Because the father has absolute control over who the daughter is going to marry. I think you can agree with me that that's probably a good decision these days. Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. I heard some amens. Good. Excellent. Uh, but seriously, and you know, the, the bride price too isn't a bad deal, I, I don't think. But finally, the bridegroom, he goes back to his house, and he's going back to his father's house, and depending on the size of the father's house, um, he's either going to build a house on his father's property, uh, or if it's just kind of a, you know, smaller place, and he's just going to build or prepare a room. And so he's off doing this, 
And he is waiting for his father's approval to look at the room while the bride, while the bridegroom is uh, constructing all this stuff. The father is, he's waiting for the father to come by and say, hey, the time has arrived. Go get your bride. But he's like, so today you might say, hey, when's the big day? And you'd say something like, oh, well, we decided mine was April 24th. Great. He would say, man, I have no clue in the big day is only my father knows. And so when Jesus is telling all these wedding parables, he's connecting with that knowledge and saying, look, only my father knows. And so when you hear Jesus say that I go before you to prepare a room for you in my father's house and only my father knows the time, he was talking about a wedding. And so while the groom is off preparing the room for the house and he's waiting for his father to say, yeah, go ahead, the bride is back at home and Once they've agreed to the terms and he's left, she now has a veil over her face so that everywhere she goes in the community, people can see that she is betrothed. And they can't see her face. She's walking around and and they're just waiting to see her take that. When the veil is removed, that that means that the wedding ceremonies happen and the community will be able to celebrate and know that she's now married. And so when that time has come, the, the bride is prepared. And so she's off waiting. And what she'll do is she'll go and she'll get some of her best friends and she will be prepared to wait because what the groomsman will do is he will come like a thief to steal his bride away. Isn't that romantic? He will come and steal his bride away. And the way it works is he uh, is surrounded by his you know, closest friends, his party, and uh, he'll come. And if he wants to be extra romantic, what he'll do is come in the middle of the night to surprise her and steal her away because he's a romantic and uh, he's got his guys with him and they're coming up. And so she's enlisted the help of, of her wedding party. You know, they call them virgins or maidens. And uh, these are like her sisters and her close friends. And they're out waiting because she's got to be ready at a moment's notice. And so she's got her, her people. She said, hey, will you watch for this party to come? And so as they're coming up, the groomsmen are all shouting as they get closer. They're shouting. They're saying, the day has arrived. The groom is here. And so that lets the bride, the virgins and the maidens know, hey, we got to go get the bride because the groom is here. It's the middle of the night. And so they've got their lamps and their oil and they've got to go get her uh, because she's got just a minute, seriously, just a minute to do her hair and to get her little bag. <laughs> Even though she has a veil on, she's got to get ready and to get her bag. And then what happens, this is why the lamps are so important. Because you think about Palestine, they didn't have roads. It was all rocky terrain. And it's the, seriously, it's the middle of the night. And they've got these lanterns. And this is what will lead the bride to follow the groom and to go to her wedding. And so it's very important that they have enough light for the journey. And so they made sure to bring extra oil with them to make sure they were prepared and ready when the time came. And so uh, if you can just imagine, they're following through in this rough terrain, and you can imagine how important that light must have been for them. And if you weren't prepared for it, if you weren't ready, and they weren't just waiting like one night. This was for almost a year that they were just waiting for these for the uh, groom to come. And so they had to be prepared or else they'd miss it. And so the per- the parable today is all about... How prepared we are to have a faith that lasts through the waiting. And to be clear, this life is the waiting. So I'd like to spend a few moments that we have left together 
asking two important questions as we go through this life. And these two questions are all about how we are preparing for that moment when Christ calls us home. So here's my first question. Are you actively waiting or passively waiting? You know, five of the bridesmaids, uh, they were actively waiting. They were ready to go. They were so invested in this moment that they brought extra oil with them. They knew how important their role was. And so they prepared for that moment. And so they were actively waiting. They were ready for that moment when the groom would come. And the other five were passively waiting. They just kind of showed up. They said, hey, you know, we've, We've got this cool thing that we were asked to do and we're going to wait outside with our lanterns. And they were, and Jesus called them foolish because they didn't have any extra oil. So when the moment came, they weren't prepared. And so this is our job as Christians. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, at the end of the parable, this is what Jesus says. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Another translation says, be alert. So we have to be alert and ready for that moment. Now, when I was in middle school, I I joined the baseball team. I was terrible at baseball. Like, I cannot emphasize enough how bad at baseball I was. Uh, But I wanted to be a part of the team, and so I would show up to practice, and that's what I was good at. I was good at showing up to practice in games, and that's about it. And then I would ride the bench, um, God bless her. Then my mom would come in, c- talk to the coach and say, you really need to put my son in. Um, and so then I would, uh, I would play right field because that's where the least amount of balls would go. And you know, the, the thing is, I look back and I always blame it on my hand-eye coordination, but uh, really I would get out in right field and uh, I would like be picking up weeds or I'd be off kind of gathered over here. My softball team probably doesn't want to hear this. Um, or then the ball would come over to right field and I just wouldn't see it. The guy from center field would run all the way over. It was terrible. And you know, that again, I would blame it on my hand-eye coordination, but here's the reality. I would show up to practice, but I did nothing outside of practice to be a better player. Nothing. I wouldn't read up about it. I didn't go play catch with my dad. I didn't try to be better at hitting or bad. I would never go to the batting cages. I just showed up and hoped for the best. And as a result, when I showed up, because I wasn't that good and I wasn't that excited about it, I wasn't invested. I wasn't active in the position that I was called to play. It just didn't matter to me. And so when you compare the foolish maidens to the wise maidens, you see that the wise maidens were ready. Man, they were all in. They were doing stuff outside of the waiting to get ready, to be prepared. And here's how I think it relates to our faith. I think as Christians, there are two types of Christians. There are those who show up and hope for the best. And our faith kind of becomes routine and something that we kind of, we're here at stuff and so that counts. But then there are those Christians who, man, it is so a part of everything that they do. Their faith drives them in all that they do. And so it has become so a part of them that they are eager and alert in, in every single thing that they do. Because they don't want to miss Jesus Christ showing up in their lives. Because our faith in Christ can become more of a duty. Uh, yeah, can be, is, it can become some duty that we perform instead of a faith that we live out. And our faith in Christ has to be more than that. 
It must be something that we think about, we prepare for, that we're just so excited to be a part of that it drives us. And the way I like to think about it is I think in in life, when we're not prepared, our faith becomes something we want to control. And so we put it in a box and we bring it out once a week and we kind of hope for the best on it. But when we're active in our waiting, our faith isn't something we control. It's something that drives us. And here's the thing, this parable is was focused and intended to talk about Christ's return, the second coming. But it's more than that. Christ shows up in our lives every single day. And I wonder, are we ready? Are we prepared? We need to be active in our waiting. We need to make sure, if we're going to do that, that we're fueling our faith. And so here's my second question. Do you have enough oil? What are we doing to fuel our faith? Now, early in our marriage, Melissa and I lived in Corpus Christi, Texas. And if you know anything about Texas, you know that cities aren't exactly close together. We would go on these road trips to go visit my parents. And she worked on Fridays. She was uh, working at school. I had my Fridays off. And so that was my time, anytime we go on a road trip, to get ready uh, for our trip together. And my parents lived in San Antonio, which was just two and a half hours away. And that was the closest city uh, next door to us. And my wife, coming from Richmond, she was used to so everything just being so close together and not having to travel very far. And so what I wanted to do to make her feel better as a newly married couple, anytime we go on a road trip, I was ready. I mean, I... I wanted to make sure that halfway through the trip, when she wanted that extra bottle of water, I, seriously, I would hide water bottles all over the car. And I would go like this. Oh, you wanted that extra water? Here you go. I mean, no look driving. It was great. Or I would have snacks in my pockets in Ziploc bags. She would say, man, I just wish, because, you know, in Texas, when you're driving down the road, there's no place to stop. We always joke about it. You're just on highway forever. It's like you're in a desert sometimes. And she'd be like, man, I just wish we could find some place to stop. I'm hungry. I was like, well, how about this bag of trail mix? <laughs> I kid you not, it was my goal every trip for her to turn to me and say, Mark, you've thought of everything. You're so prepared. And she did. <laughs> oh, it was great. I was so prepared. Now, I don't know if it's because we have a 14-month-old child. Or if it's, you know, I'm not exactly sure why life maybe seems a little bit more hectic. I'm just not as prepared for road trips. Maybe it's just that Richmond, where her family lives, is only an hour away. Unless you're taking 95, then it's five hours away. (laughs) But I found myself, instead of, I used to, was so consumed by making sure that our, our trip there was so pleasurable and exciting and easy uh, that I would just think about it and consume about it. I would, th- I would think about how many water bottles I needed to get and have ready to go. Now I'm like, we, we'll show up to Richmond. I'm like, shoot, I forgot my shoes. <laughs> Man, I forgot, I forgot my extra shirt. I guess I'm gonna have to wear this all weekend. And the reality is I'm kind of just packing as we're walking, you know, to the car. I'm just grabbing a couple things. I'm not really prepared. I'm lucky if we have anything to drink. Uh, if we do have snacks, they're not in a Ziploc bag. There's just a random piece in my pocket. We, you know, we share it. Things have changed just a little bit. 
But here's what I think. I think many of us find ourselves struggling with this in our faith. That we started off passionate and prepared and excited. It was something that consumed us so badly. But as we've grown and, and time has passed, it's just not something that was once as important. It's not something that's as important to us now as it once was. And friends, I think we have to get back to that. We have to find that passion. And one of the ways that we do that is to make sure that we're fueling our faith. And this has been the story of the church. John Wesley, who founded the United Methodist Church, he wrote, I'm not afraid that the people called Methodists should ever cease to exist either in Europe or America, but I am afraid lest they should only exist as a dead sect having the form of religion without the power. You know, the thing about John Wesley is he was huge on personal discipline, private prayer, all that time. He would wake up at 5 o'clock every morning to make sure that he had time with God. And he made sure that small groups and accountability were at the forefront of his ministry as a Methodist. Corporate worship, things that people did together, that was a result of the fruit of when people were doing the hard work outside of that gathering. When I read this story that Jesus told about the ten maidens, I'm reminded that the five maidens went out and actively prepared for their time together in waiting. They ensured by doing this that their fire burned longer. And I think that's true for our faith. I think when we come together on a Sunday morning, man, it is so powerful to see what God is doing in this place. But here's what I know. I've seen hearts on fire in this place. But I know for me, and this may be true for you, if I'm not feeling that fire outside of Sunday morning, man, I'm wondering what happens when I leave. And I'm just longing for Sunday when in reality, I can feel my fire every day and experience a faith alive every day. So what sort of ways are we fueling our fire outside of worship? The more time we spend fueling our fire, the more invested we will be, the more active we will be in our faith, the more on fire our hearts will be for the things that matter most to God. And you know, one of the things I love about this parable is they were getting oil ready for that fire in the lamp. And that's what our faith should be. Not cold, not warm, but on blaze, on fire. You know, over 30 days ago, I was teaching on having a faith um, that that was on fire. I mean, it was, a, it was teaching on the faith of the fruit of the Spirit. Sorry, on what our faith looks like when we have fruits of the Spirit visible in our lives. When our faith is so on fire that fruit comes as a result of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so this is what Paul said that fruit is. He said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this is a result of being prepared for the waiting. These are the things we will experience during the waiting. You know, even if we're in the DMV, it won't be as hard during the waiting because we will have these things present in our lives. And so I challenged us that if we really want to see this fruit and have a faith on fire, we can start by spending 15 minutes a day for 30 days in a chair praying reading a devotional, reading scripture, listening to God in silence. And so 
Here's a picture of some of the chairs I've received. Not all of them. But these are from individuals who spent that time intentionally spending time fueling their faith. And I had one person say, you know, I don't have a picture of my chair to send you. Uh, but I can tell you that instead of going on my phone and playing Candy Crush Saga or one of those Bible app, you know, Bible app, one of those games on my phone, I've decided to go to the Bible app first. And before doing anything like that, I dive into God's word just for a few minutes and said, can I tell you that that's radically changed things for me? I had another person send me a, a picture of their chair pretty early on, actually, and say, you know, I know you told us to send this in the future, but here's the reality. I've been spending time in this chair for the last 15 weeks. I started using this chair to study the Bible, uh, school books to pray, and I begin my time with the Lord by writing in a prayer journal. I list my praises and my prayers, and many of these prayers have been answered. This reinforces the power of prayer in my life, and the practices become similar to a perpetual motion machine. And here's what happens. He said, if I miss my prayer time, I do not feel complete. I have seen a positive impact in my life from this practice. My mood and outlook on difficult items are improved. I have more patience in dealing with my children. And I'm more focused on whatever task is at hand. You know, here's what I know when our faith is on fire. When we fueled our faith, when we're active in the waiting, the waiting is different. And we're more prepared. And when we come together to do that, things in this world are different because we are prepared for the waiting. And so whether Jesus Christ is, is returning tomorrow or whether we um, graduate on to glory or whether Jesus Christ shows up in our lives and shows us a greater calling that we have and we need to take a step, into faith, to follow Him wherever He's calling us. Friends, we need to be ready and prepared. And so I ask us all, are we actively waiting or are we passively waiting? Do we have enough oil? Are we fueling the fire of our faith through the personal discipline of our lives, a, a life so caught up in our faith, in God, in Christ, that nothing else matters? Because at the end of the day, here's, I think, what makes the difference. Here's how we can see whatever we're doing. The easiest thing to recognize is, are we controlling our faith? Is it something we put in a box, bring it out once a week and hope for the best? Or is it something that drives us? Is it something that leads us to greater things, to the call of Jesus Christ in our lives? Because, friends, there's no, there's no more powerful witness than that. And there's no greater thing that God can do in and through the church than to have a group of people who are ready to come together and wait for God to show up in a big and mighty way. Can we do that together?